good morning again, everybody. I'm Jeff. Hello, online folks. Glad you guys are with us. Hey, Merry Christmas, everybody. Happy Advent. This is the third Sunday of Advent. I'm super excited to continue on in the process of uh, Ben's two incredible sermons on Advent, the first two Sundays. Here we are, uh, week three uh, of Advent. And um, I want to return to the story as we're looking through at the coming of Jesus through the eyes of the shepherds that were out in the field. And so... um, Let's look, to, look again at Luke chapter 2. And I hope you can look at this with fresh eyes. You know, Luke chapter 2, this is like, you know, what Linus quotes at the, the Christmas, you know, the Peanuts Christmas special. And uh, this, we hear it in our minds in the King James Version, and it's the one that's read all the time. But what an incredible passage. And so I hope you can see it with fresh eyes again as we read it. So this is Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. I'm going to read through the verses that we've covered and get us down to verse 15 and 16, which is what I want to focus on this morning on our third week of Advent. Luke 2, starting verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping a watch over their flocks. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. Just again, you've seen it with fresh eyes. There's angels. I mean, there's shepherds hanging out in the field. And then, like, it's just like period, space, an angel of the Lord appeared to them. You know, as they do. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they, what does Linus say? They were sore afraid. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. And then verse 15 and 16 that I want to look at this morning. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go. Let's go. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. That's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Isn't that a crazy passage you see right there? It's like, so then the angels left, and at this, like, they're like, okay, so they had this experience, had the angel who was talking to everybody, and then uh, they had the, the great company of angels coming, the proclamation that the Savior was being born into the world, and that they were going to go find him laying in a manger somewhere in the form of a baby. I mean, it was just, the whole thing was crazy, mind-blowing, out in the fields, glory of God, angels, the whole thing, and then it sort of stops. The angel has left them and gone into heaven, and the shepherds look at one another and go, Okay. Can you picture it? What just happened? But the text records that they go, what's their response? They go, we got to go to Bethlehem. Like, let's go. Like, we got to do something about this. Like, we have got to see what this is all about, and we got to go find this Messiah that they're talking about, and it's time for us to go. Let's go. And that's what they did. So I titled my sermon, today, let's go. Like, let's go. What are we going to do in response to this crazy thing that has happened, in response to this good news that the Savior has come into the world? 
there is this response that the shepherds give us and, uh, as an example where they're like, let's go and see what happened. We got to go. You see, it compelled them to action. It compelled them to action. It's that thing that is a sort of a pithy statement, but it's, it's, uh, it's that statement that we've heard before that says, if this is true, then this changes everything. Now, can you resonate with that? I mean, if this is true, oh my gosh. And these guys go, yeah, we got to go. We got to go. We got to do something with this. And they get compelled to action. There comes a time, maybe many times in your life, but there comes a time when something happens that is so overwhelming and so potentially game-changing that it compels you, requires you to do something about it. And there is, there comes, I'm going to tell you. And there, for those of you online, I got like a two-year-old heckler in the crowd. There comes a time when something so compelling happens to us that it requires us to action. It happens in big ways and small ways, but there comes a time in our spiritual life where something happens to us, where something's stirring, a suffering, a joy, uh, a struggle, a desert, uh, a life change, uh, an epiphany out of nowhere when we're just out there doing our job tending sheep. And God shows up and it requires us to respond and to do something. This is what the experience of the shepherds teaches me. Life's like that. It's like that in really small ways. I thought of a few examples for me that I'm like, you know, there's, there are times when you just go, oh my gosh, I got to do something about that. I've shared with you not too long ago, it was this year, about the fact that when I'm, you know, I'm a kid and I'm a crazy baseball fan, a 13-year-old baseball fan, and the Oakland A's go to the World Series in 1974, and I'm like, I got to go. I got to go. I don't have a ticket, but I got to go. So I went and climbed over the fence. Like, that's it. I got to be there. I was 13 then. At 60, my son worked for the Rams. They're going to the the Super Bowl. He called me one day and he's like, so you want to go to the Super Bowl with me? I'm taking you to the Super Bowl. I'm like, "Uh, we got to go. You can't say no to that. There's something so compelling and so potentially life-changing, something that's like, this is, is, is this as good as I dreamed that it might be? Is this something that I've been longing for? Like, I gotta go. Like, I gotta do this. We had an opportunity to go to Africa for free this year, a trip to Morocco for free. And I'm like, yeah, no thanks. And my wife's like, no, we gotta go. <laughs> like, when is that? Like, let's go. Let's go see what that's about. <laughs> I've got the I've gotta go story in my life with, with my, uh, my relationship with my wife. When we were young, we were dating in college, and then we were broken up in college at one point. And there was a day that dawned on me in December, dark and, and uh, cold and uh, dewy and foggy in Davis, when I realized, oh, I can't live without her. I got to go. And I got on my bike and rode across campus and hung out in front of the music building because she was a music major and stalked her until she showed up. That's illegal, friends. Any young people in the room? Because something happened in my heart where I'm like, oh, this is real and it's going to change everything and I am compelled to respond. You with me? This is what the shepherds 
did. If this is true, this changes everything. Maybe that's where you are this morning. Maybe inside you, there's something that's happening where God is moving you during this Advent season. He's drawing you to himself. He's stirring something in you. He's wooing your heart. And you're like, I gotta go. I gotta take the next step toward him. I gotta respond to him. And I'm very aware that some of you in the room, this may be those of you who are like, man, I've been dabbling. That's a good word. Like I've been touching the edges of this thing. I've been feeling the closeness of God. I've been learning about Jesus. And it's time I gotta respond i got to say yes to the love of Christ and give my life to him. And for those of us in the room that aren't at the beginning, God is always at work in all of us to go, what's the next thing? Will you respond to my love? Will you surrender your heart to me? Will you give your life to me? Will you follow me more closely? Maybe you're in a place this Advent season where God's stirring something in you and you're like, like the shepherd's like, oh, I gotta respond to this, I gotta go. Let's go. And so I wanna talk about then, just in the few minutes that I have this morning, the pragmatics of the, we gotta go from the shepherd story. What do we learn from the way that they responded and how it might relate to something that we're feeling inside about leaning in to our spiritual journey. So first, here's something I see in the shepherd story. This idea of if I do nothing, if I do nothing about this, nothing will change. If I do nothing about this, nothing will change. That is a reality we all can relate to and have experienced in our lives. If I don't do anything about this, then nothing is going to change. You see, when the angels left them, if you're looking back at verse 15 and 16, when the angels left them, they turned and they said to one another, let's go. We got to go to Bethlehem and see what's happening. I mean, that's exactly what the text says. Very simple, just a couple of sentences. The angels left, went into heaven. The shepherds turned to each other and said, "Uh, we got to go. Let's go, let's go figure this out. They were very decisive. They did something because there were a lot of other options about what could have happened in that moment, right? They could have seen the glory of God. They could have heard the good news about Jesus. They could have seen that this is potentially upside down, changing, life-changing kind of thing. And they could have went, wow, that was super interesting. I don't know. We'll probably never be able to figure it out. And, and we'll just stay right where we are. They could have also, out of fear, said, well, this is my job. I don't get off until 4 a.m. What are people going to think? What's the owner going to say? Is anybody going to believe me? But you see, the thing that happened was so glorious. They knew in their hearts that they had to respond. And if they didn't respond, then nothing was going to change. And what was stirring and what they'd seen and what they'd heard, maybe you resonate with this, you guys, in your own walks with God, what has been stirring and what has been resonating and what you've seen and what you've touched is compelling you to something, to moving toward Jesus, to surrendering more to Jesus. And if you don't do anything about it, then nothing's going to change. And you maybe will get to the point where you're like, that's, I can't, I can't, I can't have nothing change. There's more, and God's calling me in. You feel that? And so they went for it. It's kind of the common phrase that we use in our vernacular is, um, if you do what you've always done, you know, you know how that ends? You'll get what you always get. And if we're honest, we're constantly in a place of growth and transformation, more of God, more of who he designed me to be. And I don't want to be stuck in neutral. 
doing what I always do and getting what I always get, if I don't do something about how the next steps that God is luring me to, wooing me to, then nothing's going to change. And we're people who change, church, right? The Bible is so funny on this. Listen, there's a couple of verses here that might be misconstrued as a little bit kind of harsh, but I don't want you to see, I just want you to see the truth in these verses. It makes me laugh because I came up with two verses and I'm like, I got to soften these. Well, I'll let the Lord soften them. But look, like, look at this in Galatians chapter six. This phrase, Paul says to the Galatians, do not be deceived. He's feeling very strongly about telling them the truth. And he goes, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. What does that mean? I'm not mocking God. No, no, no. He's, what he's saying is, there's a way things work in the kingdom of God. So don't be deceived. It's going to work this way. And you're like, they're like, what? What? And then he goes to the next phrase. You reap what you sow. That's how it works in the kingdom of God. That's how it works in everything in our lives, you guys. We reap what we sow. We get out of it what we put into it. And this is a scriptural principle. And so when we're looking at this idea, if I do nothing, nothing's going to change, it's that idea. We can't be deceived thinking we can just continue along. If God is stirring, then we got to go. We got to take the next steps of leaning into his presence, of seeking him, of walking with him, of surrendering to him. Because a person reaps what they sow. And the other verse it's great. I love it because it's, it uses the word sluggard. Proverbs 20. Sluggards do not plow in season. In other words, they don't do the work. When it's the season, when it's the season to respond, they don't plow. And so when harvest time comes, they look but find nothing. Is that heartbreaking, that verse? when God is calling us to the next place, when God is longing for more of us, asking us to respond and to lean into being his woman or his man more. This verse, this thought of, so at harvest time, they look and they don't find anything, is heartbreaking to me. We reap what we sow. And if I don't do anything, then there's no change that's gonna come. And that is not what God has asked us to do. So are you feeling, if you're feeling the nudge that you need more of God, more transformation, more healing, closer, you're being drawn to Jesus to be the savior of your heart and your life and to walk with you. If you're feeling more of that, then you got to go. You cannot stay where you are. And I'm going to tell you one other biblical principle just as an aside. First steps produce miracles. Well, you're like, man, I know there's a lot more, but I've kind of, you know, thought about it before and I don't have the power to transform this. I don't have the strength to do that. I don't have the, the understanding. Like I just like, and so we get stuck in neutral because we don't think we have what it takes. I'm telling you, the Bible from cover to cover is full of stories of people who said, I got to go. And I don't know what that means, but I'm going to step out. And when they did, God came through in miraculous ways and led them to where they needed to be. And so that's just all we're saying here. And it really relates to this next point, which is, so if the shepherds teach us that, that, uh, um, uh, that if we do nothing, then, we're, then nothing's going to change, here's the second point. There's no time like the present. There's no time like the present. 
In the text, the shepherds, it's a very simple story about the shepherds. They, it says in verse 16, they hurried off and found Mary. Again, so simple. The angels then left, went to heaven. It was like, quiet, dark. And they were like, we gotta go. And then it says they hurried off to find Mary and Joseph and the baby, see what was happening in Bethlehem. They hurried off. You can just imagine it. They were not waiting around because this was so transformative. There's a great verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 where Paul's talking to the Corinthian church and he refers to this idea. He goes, indeed, you're looking for God's favor. Indeed, the right time is now. Now's the time. If God is moving and calling you, now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. Today's the day we interact with God. Right now is the time that we say yes to whatever he's doing in our hearts. Does that inspire anybody in this room but me? Right now, let's go. If this is worth doing, then it's worth doing right. If I, stay, if I just stay in neutral, then I'm not going to get to be, get where I need to go. Like, let's go. This is it. And if there's that nudge, that stirring, even for a first encounter with Jesus, surrendering our lives to him, or if there's that nudge that I want more of this thing, then today's the day. I'm going to pull an old man card on you right now. I feel like they're old school Christianity. And, you know, I know this because Billy, this is Billy Graham. I'm going to pull Billy Graham old school old man card on you right now. Anybody old enough to know about Billy Graham? You guys are like, old enough? I saw him. Like, yeah. Billy Graham. That guy's legit, by the way, Billy Graham. There are very few stories where you're like, that guy was legit till he was 90 and died legit. Like, that is awesome. Read a biography of Billy Graham. It is really inspiring. But here's the thing. His heart was to tell people, today's the day. Do you know Jesus? If you don't know Jesus, today's the day. What are you waiting for? And his message was that, essentially that, every single night when he preached in those giant stadiums full of people. He used to tell people, he was famous for telling people, he would say, if you died tonight, it's so morbid in our world to talk like that. Can I tell you something? You could die tonight. Can I tell you something? That's just a reality. I'm in my 60s. I think about it. <laughs> Some of you youngins are like, I'm never going to die. I know. Billy Graham used to say, if you died tonight, do you know without a shadow of a doubt that you've surrendered your life to Jesus and your sin has been covered and that you will be accepted into eternal life with the Father forever? Do you know that without a shadow of, doubt, of a doubt? And then he would say, if not, then today's the day. Why wait? And then he would say, come down. Come down, make it happen today. Respond to God today. Why are we, what are we waiting for? I love that. If God's moving, what are we waiting for? Let's respond today. Today's the day. <laughs> he used to say, Billy Graham used to say, if you came with your friends, anybody knows? You came with your friends, your friends will wait. If you came with your church, your church will wait. If you came on a bus, the buses will wait. Look it up. I guarantee you'll see that clip when you watch Billy Graham. Because now's the time. The shepherds responded to the glory of God showing up, the prompt that there was something life-changing here. And they responded in the present. Third, finding Jesus will undoubtedly require some form of a search. Okay, wait, I gotta go back. Micah, can you go back to that at the time? There's no time like the present. Because the Holy Spirit's prompting me. Um, 
for somebody to sit in that for a moment, that you have been nearing the love of God. You've been experiencing the truth. You've been around the glory that is this incredible group of people who love God and are honest and walk in humility and authenticity. You've begun to hear the good news of Jesus. And when I said that thing about Billy Graham, you're like, I don't know. If you came on a bus, your bus will wait. <laughs> I'm not going to make you come up. But do you need, even in your heart right now, to say, I've been stirred, God, and I surrender my life to you today. I'm going to take that first step. As much as I understand, I'm going to take that first step today. I'm going to surrender my life to you, Jesus, and trust you with it. And learn what that means as I go. But I give you my life, my heart today. Is that you? I want love to talk with you after the gathering. Okay, had a little holy moment there. All right. Thanks be to God. There's no time like the present. Third, finding Jesus will undoubtedly require some form of a search. Finding Jesus will undoubtedly require some form of a search. It says in the text, just this very simple phrase, and I was meditating on it, it struck me. The text simply says that they found Joseph and Mary and the baby. They found him, which means there was some looking involved. And there was probably not just some looking involved. The angels had said, there's going to be a baby that's going to be wrapped in cloth, and it's going to be in a manger. And they probably thought, they couldn't have meant that. That's not how the Savior comes in the world. I don't know what that means. And then they probably went around looking in mangers. Like, I don't know how that all went down. But there was some form of a search involved. There was a stirring. There was a word from God. And then they were like, I got to figure out how to see what this means. Does that not resonate with our, li- our spiritual lives? Like we get this thing, we're like, I don't know what that means. I'm not sure what to do with it. And so there's some searching happening. There's some process of like, is this what it means? Is this the baby? They probably got to Joseph and Mary and the baby. And they're like, they're like, they're like Galilee trash. Like, who are these people? Like, this can't be it. And so they, they, they didn't know what to do about it. So there was some process of figuring out what God was doing inside them. Well, that's going to be true for all of us. Wait, what is this? What are you saying, God? What do I do with it? Am I going here? You're prompting me. You're stirring me. After the first gathering, somebody came up and said, I'm in neutral. I'm in neutral in my job. I'm in neutral in my walk with God. I'm beginning to feel like maybe I need a change with my my career, and that's terrifying. I don't know what that means. Yeah, totally. There's this process of some search, right? Figuring out what God does. Here's the only thing I want to tell you about. So be in process, and we'll be in process together. But here's, here's something I want to tell you about that reality. God is not hiding from you. That is not a thing. So as we're searching, it's not because he's like, it's super hard. You're not going to find me. I know it's tough. You kind of have to live in agnosticism the rest of your life. That is not how he functions. The scripture is full of promises that say, you're going to be on this journey. That's why we use that word so much. This journey of figuring out what this all means, of figuring out where Jesus is in front of you and where he's leading and why and all that kind of stuff, but he will not hide from you. The scripture is full of the teaching, like this one in Jeremiah, that says, if you seek me, you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. There are so many verses like this that says, those who love me will find me. You'll find him. 
There is leading and it is possible. And the search, the, the search that we're talking about is the process of walking the steps of figuring out what Jesus is saying and where he's taking us. So the shepherds end up finding him. So if I do nothing about this, nothing's going to change. There's no time like the present. Finding Jesus will undoubtedly require some form of a search. And so friends, get on the search. And I trust you that you will find him and that he will lead you and he will not hide his will from you. And, third, and fourth, last one that I want to say this morning, the journey toward Jesus is taken together. The journey toward Jesus is taken together. It's what we do together and we need each other. I picked this picture on purpose, this idea of the Tough mutter. There's a bunch of guys in our church that did the Tough mutter together. They dragged each other's tails through the mud and the shocks and the water and one guy almost drowned in, you know, in 18 inches of water, which I, I don't know how that happens, but <laughs> it was a tough race. And, uh, but they were in it together. These a bunch of these, we call them boys because they're in their 30s. They're like children to me. And they, uh, these boys, they, uh, they also ran a backyard marathon. Did you hear this? Not too long ago where they, they ran a four-mile loop uh, every hour on the hour until the last person just dropped uh, on the street of exhaustion. So people did like, you know, 40, 50 miles. Uh, and then yesterday they rode their bikes 100 miles. I asked one guy, like, they did four 25-mile loops. I said, so how much did you practice? And he said, I got a three-mile bike ride in and an 18-mile bike ride in. You might be able to see them walking funny in the lobby. You can figure out who we're talking about. But it is a manifestation and an example of these guys walking in fellowship together. They're doing hard things together. They're on this journey of life together, no man left behind. But that principle will preach all the way through Scripture. That is what we live out in this church. I realize what I'm saying is God stirring something in you about going to the next things. You've got to know that i got to land on this point to say, let's do it together. Let's help each other. We'll figure it out together. Because how you figure out what God's stirring, what next steps look like for you, are always, always, always going to be by engaging with other believers on, in the process. It's always going to be that way. You're, you're not, you can't be out there on your own going, I'm a, I don't need you guys, I'm going to walk with God. Well, then you're going to drown in 18 inches of water. And so we're going to do it together. The scriptures tell us, you know, look at the great words in Hebrews chapter 10. Let us consider, let's be considerate about it. Let's be thoughtful about it. Let's be intentional about it. How we can spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the end coming, the days coming. And this verse in Ecclesiastes 4 that I love, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. Some of you are like, I love that verse. It was in my wedding. Yeah, it's not about marriage. <laughs> two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. This is the spiritual journey. If one of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Where a lot of people live in so privately and so safeguarded and so alone that we fall and nobody's helping us up. And we're not able to respond to the glory of God showing up and saying, there's more, come on, let's go. You gotta go. The title of my sermon was Let's Go because it's something we'll do together. And so I don't even know how to sum up. Come on out, band, we're gonna worship. But it, you know, this idea of this is true, it changes everything. This is 
God asking us during this Advent season? If he's asking you for something, if he's doing something in you, then let's go. I don't even know what that looks like for you. Let's go. But I know it's going to include reaching out to your pastors, getting in a smaller group, showing up at all the stuff, allowing God to meet you and draw you and speak to you. As you seek, you'll find his will for you. Man, I I didn't really think it was a good idea to do this sermon right in the middle of like the last week before Christmas. Everybody's hair's on fire. Nobody is doing well. They're all busy. But if this is true, it changes everything. And I don't want to miss what God has for you, for me, by just giving in to being crazy and doing the same thing we always got to do. Let's go. Let's go. I want to take the next steps. And so the admonition of the church, it's in all the Christmas carols, you guys, for all the ages, is this. What will we do with the proclamation that the Lord has come? Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Joy comes when we have found the king and we surrender to him. The time is now. The hymn says this, and we're going to sing it and celebrate this good news together. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth, let humans on earth receive their king. Make him king. Let every heart prepare him room and receive him. Let's respond to the Lord and celebrate in the name of Jesus. Let's stand together.